Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. to research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and joining me tonight is co-host Natan Elaine Kemp. Now, you all may recall that Natan joined us the first of the month, and so I'm really happy to have Natan co-hosting tonight. I want to welcome our callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. Now, you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have a wonderful lineup of experts who will share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy questions. All of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. Now, if you have logged on as a guest and you wish to participate in the chat, you can sign in through your Facebook account or through Blog Talk Radio. Now, I will also open the lines in the second half of the show so that you can ask questions of the guests. When they time, do you recall the day I called you? Very excited because I had found my great-great-grandfather's Peter Clark's information in the Freedmen Bureau records. He was on a labor contract with his siblings and his mother in Livingston Parish, Louisiana. Now, I know, Nathan, that you have also examined a few, few uh, Freedmen Bureau records. Can you tell us about those records? Last summer, I assisted the Louisa County Historical Society in transcribing about 40 frames um, concerning Louisa County. And one of the frames I transcribed was a letter from October 23, 1866. And it's written by Lieutenant Jacob Roth. And he begins the letter, Sir, having received your order to take the census of the free people of this county, and intending to commence thereon with commencement of November next, I cannot omit to give you some of the a description of the service it requires. He talks about how many people are in the county. He talked about how it took him a full month, all of his time, just to register all the people who were married. He mentioned he thinks this project would take six to eight months, and that the county of Louisa being 25 miles wide by 50 miles long. The short and sweet of it was the census of the free people were never taken. 
Oh, my goodness. Well, I tell you what, tonight is going to be an exciting night because we're going to talk about finding your ancestors in the Freedmen Bureau records between 1865 and 1872. And Selma Stewart will discuss the value and the use of the Virginia Freedmen Bureau records that are digitized and available online at FamilySearch.org. Now, Selma Stewart is an avid family researcher and genealogist. She is the current president of the Afro-American Historical and Genealogical Society of Hampton Roads Chapter and serves on the board of the Virginia Genealogical Society. In addition, she is the former National 2000-2002 Correspondent Secretary for Afro-American Historical and Genealogical Society. Her work on numerous transcription projects include the Brantley Association, Southampton County, Virginia Project, and Whispers from the Dust, Virginia Freedmen's Project, Freedmen Bureau Record Group 105. So let me give a warm welcome to Selma to research at the National Archives and Beyond. Selma, welcome. Well, thank you, Bernice. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here this evening. Well, I'm so glad you're on this call. And Selma, why don't you just give us a little background. When and why did you get involved in genealogy? Uh, Well, um, our family moved uh, here to Tidewater, Virginia in the early 1980s, and there was, uh, in our local newspaper, there was an article written every Saturday by a local genealogist and director of the local family history center whose name was Virginia Rollins. And I would read it. I thought it was always very interesting, but, you know, I didn't really have time. Uh, In the fall of 1991, um, my family and I uh, took a trip to Lynchburg, Virginia, which is where my husband's paternal family is from. And uh, when I came home, I believe there was another article by Mrs. Rawlings, and she was talking about the Family History Center, which is not that far from my home. So I said, you know, I think I'll take a trip over there and see what I can find out about this family. Um, When I really got it started um, was when I went to um, the Hampton Public Library, um, which has a Virginiana collection, and so I had access to, at that time, this is pre-internet and, you know, all the things that we have now. So it was the microfilm, it was the sound deck, it was a room full of books and, and, and the journals, and I was just fascinated. And um, it was uh, really old school, but I think it really laid the foundation for the work that you really have to do. And today I found uh, one of my old spiral binders that I kept during those first couple of months. And I see where on November 5th I wrote in my spiral not- notebook, not a good day, a headache. I need to concentrate. <laughs> I need to look at the marriage registry and what is smudged next to that Baylor surname. So, you know, all the different things that uh, those of us as researchers, when you're beginning and there's all this information and you're, you're not sure how to get it in order. Um, and so that's, that's how I started. Well, I, you sound like you had a wonderful beginning. I know, I know about having those spiral notebooks and writing little yeah. statements in there. <laughs> I could really relate to what you just said. Yeah. 
Well, when did you become aware of the Freedman Bureau records in general? Well, in January of 1992, I joined a local uh, black genealogy society, which uh, had been formed in 1986. It was called the Virginia Society for Black Historical and Genealogical Research. Um, and sometimes we are still known by that name, although we are now in Aug's chapter. Uh, this group had been together since 1986, and, you know, they um, some of the meetings um, – some of the members would talk about using the Freedmen's Bureau records. Now, at that point, they were talking about the Assistant Commissioner um, Freedmen's Bureau records. And for Virginia, there are 67 reels and uh, 20 reels for the Superintendent of Education records. And I looked at them. Um, but, you know, at that point, there's so much information, and you're not sure how to use it. And a couple yes. of people had made comments that, yo, there's not that much in there. Well, you know, it's my opinion that you need to look at something, and you decide uh, what's in there and what's important to you. Um, plus, um, I'd also seen references in uh, books that I was reading, because once I started really getting into it and beginning to find things, I realized that you really have to know some history. You really have to know the history of the places that you're researching, the counties that you're researching. And for those of us who are um, researching African Americans, either free or enslaved, uh, you know, it really takes an effort. Um, you know, I was back to reading Gutman, which I had read, you know, years before, sure. Ira Berlin, uh, John mm -hmm. Russell, uh, all these books that kind of give you um, – just a context. I'm not reading them for genealogical uh, techniques, but to give myself uh, some kind of um, context. Not only that, they really gave me an appreciation for two things that were the bane of my existence when I was in college, which is the footnote and the bibliography. Mm -hmm. And I find uh, with a lot of the times uh, when you um, take the time to read these books, um, it's always a good idea, I think, to pay close attention to the end notes, the footnotes, the bibliography, because these historians are not necessarily interested in, uh, unless they're doing a biography of somebody, but they, the sources that they use um, can provide you with leads that you too can follow. Well, you're absolutely right, and you mentioned all of the books that I'm looking at right now because I'm right in my bookcase. <laughs> so you are and, you know, so right. A lot of these were written, you know, when the scholarship really started um, coming about in the 60s. I mean, they're yes. much more current things. I mean, over the last 40 years, um, it, it has been voluminous. But yes, they really, um, at the beginning, um, they were really a good um, foundation, or at least the beginning of a context uh, right. in which to start. So, you know, and county histories. I mean, That's because right. um, this Hampton Public Library, and, you know, so you've got these county histories that written by different people. I always keep in mind when I'm reading some of them, especially if they're written in the 1920s, 1930s, I'm not necessarily uh, reading these books. Uh, because I'm looking for information about African Americans, because in many cases they're not there, I am trying to get an idea of uh, the community as a whole and the yes, people in right. power in those communities. That's because right. as you find when you do research, you have to know it all. 
You have to know it all, and you have to understand the context in which your the places yeah. where your ancestors lived, the yeah. context, historical context of yeah. what was going on. So yeah. I, I think you're right on target as far as what you're sharing. Well, when did you become aware of Record Group 105? And perhaps you should, I guess, give us a little background on what is Record Group 105. Well, Record Group 105, uh, like the um, assistant, um, the other records, are um, the records that were generated um, by the Bureau began um, by two acts. Life of uh, the Bureau begins in March 3rd, 1865. So the re- these are the, um, the records that are generated from the, um, the districts, field office were field offices, excuse me, were set up in the different states in different uh, districts. And uh, different districts were uh, uh, were um, uh, responsible for certain counties and responsible for the activities and things that were going on in the counties. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, this is after the war, and um, so we're talking about um, many of these places. I mean, you have... Um, it's been a war, and so there's um, a lot of disarray. I mean, the federal government is still uh, in charge of these southern states. They are trying to bring order. You have all these um, former slaves in these communities. Um, I happen to live in an area uh, which is not that far from Fort Monroe, which was the first, um, you know, was under union control. I mean, Butler gets here uh, in May of um 1861, and within a day that he arrives, three uh, enslaved men run to Fort Monroe um, Mm -hmm. and are now declared contraband of war. And without Twitter and without cell phones, the the other uh, enslaved individuals in the community um, are aware. And, um, you know, I don't know what Lincoln thought the war was about, but it was obvious uh, that these people in these communities knew uh that they were seeking a safe haven and yeah. um and so after the war you have all these people you have uh the confederates have lost uh the war and um you have abandoned lands you have it's just a lot of disarray and so the freedmen's bureau there is to provide assistance uh to the refugees it, it it's just what it says to provide um um, assistance to the refugees, the freedmen, and a lot of these refugees are also the whites in the communities. The, re- uh, the Freedmen's Bureau records should not be only be seen as a record set that only has information about African Americans. I mean, clearly, for anybody who's read them, there's quite a bit of information. So it's to provide uh, food assistance, transportation, uh, back uh, for the, some of these people to go back home, uh, employment, just all the things they need to uh, start over. Yeah, to survive, to become self-sufficient. Yes, not to mention so, uh, the help the Bureau provided to the black soldiers and sailors. Oh, well, yes. Well, we have got, yes. Oh, without mm-hmm. question. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, so um, you know, um, I became aware of this, and at, I can give you the exact date, April tenth, 1993, uh, Jimmy Walker was a guest speaker at our group's uh, annual spring conference. Uh, mm-hmm. He had been employed for 30 years at the National Archives. 
Um, he was the founder of the Afro-American, one of the founders of the Afro-American Historical and Genealogical Society, and, and spoke to us for two hours mm-hmm. <laughs> on the and said, you know, this is what's there. And at that time, I think it was mostly really maybe um, historians uh, or or other maybe genealogists or researchers who were really aware of that, who had really uh, utilized these records. They were in mm-hmm. their original state. Uh, you had to go to the National Archives to see them. And um, so, you know, he said, you must come and see because this is uh, this can provide you with some of the information and a lot of the information that you are seeking. Right. Well, thank God Mr. Walker made that pitch and really shared with people just the value of this these records. So why don't you share with us the importance of the Whispers in the Dust project, this okay. digitization and the indexing project. Right. Well, um, like as I said, when I first saw these records, and I saw them a, a couple of months after Jimmy Walker spoke, and I was overwhelmed. And mm-hmm. um, like I said, you know, you only had access if you went there. Uh, following that, there was the um, microfilming uh that was authorized by Congress, funds were uh, authorized, and all the field office records were microfilmed. Mm-hmm. And that's for all the states. And um, and then after that, um, uh, under the um, direction of Ms. Dr. Darrell Walden, there was a project to uh, digitize the Virginia records. And the idea was um, in the hopes that the other states would see the value in this and that the other records in the other states uh, would be digitized. Uh, mm-hmm. The indexing pro, uh, project that I worked on was <clears throat> very much like you do with Ancestry, where they send you the image, and we were asked to um, do an every name uh, index for these records. Mm-hmm. And so, um, which... You know, and for Virginia alone, I think Virginia has the most. There are 200 reels or rolls of microfilm mm-hmm. for Virginia. So uh, this is a, gives the average person, anyone, the ability to sit at their computer, you know, in your pajamas with a cup of coffee and have access to all this material. Which is wonderful. I'm absolutely right. jealous. I know. I wish, <laughs> but I did think I don't know if I heard it in one of your talk, in one of your uh, blog sessions, or somewhere else that I believe the North Carolina records uh, have been digitized and um, are, are indexed, and maybe will be available soon. So I'm thrilled about that. So all the North Carolina researchers should just be thrilled. <laughs> well, they they really should be thrilled. Right. Now, how long did it take you and your group? To digitize all of the records. Uh, the, well, the, the indexing project I think took about project. two or three years. It okay. finished. How it many? finished uh, I think it took about two or three years. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was complete in 2008. And I really, I'm not sure, sure what was ha- what happened. Uh, I, you know, it was not released until um, February 2011. And it's available at the Family Search site. And for those of you, um, I'm sure, um, you know, for those of you all familiar with um, the Family Search site, 
if you go um, to the Family Search site and you scroll down the historical records collection, uh, it is listed as the Virginia Freeman's Bureau records or correspondence, 1865 to 1860, uh, 1872. So it's not even, you know, actually I didn't realize that it was available until um, someone had posted something on Afrogenus and put a link. Mm-hmm. And I um, went to her link and I saw the document, but I couldn't figure out where I was, what record I was in. And um, I played around with it and realized I was in Record Group 105. Uh, I don't know if they put out put the link um, in the in the chat going on now. When you go to the site, you can put um, you know it's only indexed by name, but if you scroll down, it says views images in this collection. And if you click that, it brings you to a screen with a bunch of numbers. Uh, which says DGS film number. Now, the numbers that you see there, if anybody's looking at it, 4150309, that is apparently the numbers that are assigned by Family Search. But in fact, 4150309 relates to real one of, uh, of the 203 reels. Mm-hmm. And so this gives you an opportunity, you can search by name, or what I've been doing is just going to each reel to actually see what's on each reel. What's the, uh, on the reel, yeah. What's on the reel. And the images, mm-hmm. uh, for most of them, contain about 112 images are devoted to the um, descriptive pamphlet. Mm-hmm. Usually it's at the front. And then the the uh, actual document images appear after that. On some of these reels, you'll find the descriptive pamphlet kind of in the middle. But by and large, the descriptive pamphlet is in the front. Well, and we're going to take a quick little break oh. and come back and continue to talk about the descriptive oh. pamphlet and others. Oh, yes, it's break time. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander-Bennett, with co-host Natan Kemp, and you're listening to Selma Stewart. Now, if you would like to ask a question or make a comment, please call 646-200-0491 and press 1 to speak to the host. Well, Selma, 
you were just beginning to talk about the importance of the descriptive pamphlet. So why don't you continue to share with us what we need to know about the descriptive pamphlets and what's in the publication. All right. Uh, the descriptive pamphlet, at the beginning of the descriptive pamphlet, it gives you a general history of the Freedmen's Bureau, how when it was started, and the, the um, activities that went on, you know, generally uh, its mission in uh, overall. Then, uh, depending on whichever state, uh, it'll give you the history of the Bureau's activities in that state. It also lists, uh, goes on to uh, list the uh, district field offices and the names of the superintendents and the commissioners uh, that were involved. And so it gives you, and then as you go on in the pamphlet, um, it gives you a, um, a one or two line description of what is on every reel. So, um, say uh, on reel 82, registers of vouchers forwarded. A single volume register of vouchers forwarded December 1867 to January 1869. So it pay, it's a good idea. It lets you know generally what is on each reel, and sometimes it's more specific. It will say it's a census for a particular county. It says it's the uh, ration list uh, from May 1865 until September 1865, months, different kinds of reports. And, but a lot of times, even after you get in the reel, you'll find things there that you would not really expect. So it's a good idea uh, that you get hold of a descript, a descript, the descriptive pamphlet for whatever state that you are researching. Uh, when I when they were first microfilmed, I called up to the National Archives and was actually able to get the descriptive pamphlet uh, sent to me. It's a free, it was then uh, a free publication. Uh, but I believe someone told me the other day, I think as the government is trying to <laughs> cut back on paper, uh, you can now download the descriptive pamphlet um, for um, – the particular states that you want right online. Now, I'm a paper person. Now, some people might just want to download it and save it on their computer. I like to kind of flip through it, take notes, that kind of stuff. So whichever way works for you. There are also uh, descriptive pamphlets for the other, um, for the records of the assistant commissioners for the different states, um, the uh, adjutant general's office records. Um, there's a descriptive pamphlet for all um, for that. And also I'd like to mention that um, Ancestry.com does have some Freedmen's Bureau records uh, online and for a number of states, and they have quite a collection of uh, the Adjutant General Office records. Um, you'll have to read uh, the description for those type of things. Um, the one thing when you go to Ancestry, the one thing I like about the Virginia Project and is that you have it all. And a lot of times when you go to the, uh, these other sites, I don't want people to assume because you went to Ancestry and you clicked on this button, you've seen everything there is to see for the Adjutant General Records because you haven't. You've only seen what they filmed and they've 
put there. So I think just people need to be aware sometimes uh, exactly what it is you're looking at. And I think that was, you know, I, wa- I want to mention this too because a similar, another similar project where everything was available is when I worked on the uh, Southampton, the Brantley Association, Southampton County, Virginia project. Um, now, Southampton is not a county that I research, but it interested me. And um, what ha- this uh, Mr. Brantley, Ken Brantley, went and was allowed to um, take digital images of all the records of the courthouse in Southampton County. And the indexing project, they had volunteers, and we indexed by name, by the place names in the counties. And, you know, it's the wills, it's the deeds, back to 1740-something. And, I mean, it's – so anybody who's doing uh, Southampton County, it's another one of those projects where you have all of the records available to you, or most – I shouldn't say all, most of the records available to you. And so I wanted to mention that. Well, one of the things that I want to say, and I put – I actually put uh, uh, the image of the descriptive pamphlet on the uh, Block Talk radio site because I also like paper, and I (laughs) carry my descriptive pamphlet with me. I have studied it. I know what's in the pamphlet for Louisiana and Mississippi and South Carolina because those are the three areas that I have been doing my research. And I can tell you, I walk in, I have already circled what I want. I can walk right to the roll pick out my role, and get to work. And I have discovered the the registers of black persons. I have gone into the various parishes. I've read labor contracts. I've read letters, complaint letters, and what have you. This pamphlet is is your guidebook. And it's something, just as you've said, it's something for you to study before you even open up the, the digitized document or go to the to the archives to to pull out the actual role. It is very helpful to know this before you even go in. And if you if you can't get it, a hard copy, download it. It's a lot of paper but download it. It is definitely worth it. Yeah. Download. Yeah. Definitely. So what were some of the instructions to the uh, Freedman Bureau officials, the superintendents of districts? Please share with us all the examples of the possibilities. <laughs> okay, to provide assistance in the form of housing, transportation, medical care, and employment to Freedmen and refugees, to relocate, relocate or attempt to reestablish family unions, units, to provide them with the legal rights which they have been denied. I mean, it's, um, you know, um, one of, there is a, I have a circular letter from, um, I believe it's June um, Mm -hmm. um, 1865. And the first thing on the list, and I was glad Natan said this, was they wanted you to go take, they wanted these officials to go take a census of all the colored persons in your district in accordance with accompanying form marked A. And like Natan said, when you read these records, and I've gone through any number of these records, without question, there were three, probably three things that they were looking for uh, um, that are most helpful. Because for those of us who research enslaved African Americans, um, the, th- the key is the name. 
Now, let's make it clear. It, it is not that we are not in the record before 1865, but we are not the ones generating the record. And so in these, um, these records, um, we speak for ourselves. We give our names. And as you know, that name, I mean, a name is an important uh, thing. And it, sometimes we changed it within a year or two. But these records that are generated in this time period, right after the war, or even um, during the war for those contraband, those people who were at, um, in contraband camps where you have rations lists or where they're employed there, they're giving their names and they're getting paid. But the three things were the cohabitation records, the um, marriage um, registers, and the registers of children whose parents have ceased to live together, whose father uh, claims as his own as of February 27, 1866. And it's clear that um, these were top priorities amongst the officials. For those of you who are not familiar with these type of records, you can go to the Library of Virginia site, to their digital memory um, site. They have cohabitation um, list. I think I made a list here uh, today for the various, um, of course, I don't, I just moved it. Um, oh, they have for Augusta County, Buckingham, Caroline County, Culpeper, Floyd, um, Fluvanna, Goochland, Hanover, Lunenburg, Montgomery County, Prince Edward County. Not all of them. Some of them have both of those records. Some of them have um, uh, uh, just one. Um, I believe with County is a county, and the with County records are not here at the Library of Virginia. But the with with County uh, not only has a census. They have a marriage register, and they have the um, register of children. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is clear that these officials wanted these things done. And I did want to – I wanted to make a point. Um, A lot of these – some of these forms you will see uh, in that circular letter, he says, you know, you will get the printed form. Well, some of these officials started doing um, the registers – before they got the form, and um, there were complaints um, about now do we have to, you know, they were writing um, the distance, the fact that they would have to go back to these people to complete it on the new form. Um, I would have finished, or like Lynn Dayton says, one man says, I would have finished it before now, but I was unable to travel uh, which caused some delay. I will have the returns completed now in short time. And I believe this is a letter in a, from a county on which um, there does not appear to be a record, but obviously mm-hmm. it was completed. It was um, completed. One man complains that, um, you know, if um, for the marriages, the people had come in and already registered their marriages, and mm-hmm. now the Bureau wanted it on their form which mm-hmm. means that they would have to come back. And he did not know if they would come back, that they were working, that they would lose a day's work. I mean, sure. it's, it's really it, – so those are the kinds of things. And it, another letter which I found really interesting, um, this had to do with the register of children for uh, children of colored persons in Franklin County. Mm-hmm. And the agent writes, um, he has some questions. Um, it is uh, – 
he writes, it is discovered that in certain circumstances and for the following reasons, because of the father's death on account of his or her child's absence, in consequence of either parent being white or the fact that uh, some of the uh, fathers wanted to, as he said, shirk their responsibility. And he wants to know whether in the future shall I, should I be registering any children whose parents either may or shall have been white, uh, or whether just a, a, a casual offspring from a fugitive adventure, as he um, as he describes it, uh, or whether or not uh, if the children are not in the county, if the children had already been sold away and were elsewhere, should we still put um, their names down and have him recognize it? And the reply to him was, it is consist- considered to the construction of the law that both parents should be colored. The intent of the act is that the children should be the offspring of cohabitation, not casual connection. But the father is made the only judge of those children whom he chooses to recognize. The presence or residence of the children does not affect the legality or propriety of recognition by the father. Um, It only renders the description more difficult. Um, Whether or not these children were already adults and were using other names, Um, To prevent confusion, the legitimized offspring should be urged to adopt the father's surname. But when from the reasons assigned, they do not, they may be registered as they they see fit. So there are a lot of things when you look at these records that you really need to take into account. Because they really, um, it's more than just, you know, this is the way it was. So these uh, letters and instructions within Record Group Group 105 give you a better explanation and a better context in which to understand this material. You are so right. Well, you know, it is very interesting. I'm looking at the chat, and I'm seeing some comments come out that you're not seeing. But Low Country uh, Africana mentioned that they have six full microfilms digitized for South Carolina and Georgia. They're not indexed. But you yes, can I, read I've been there, yes. frame. Yeah, they're mentioning this. And then uh, it looks like uh, 70 said she found her ancestors in, in Mississippi. And so I'm, I'm just really happy to see that people are finding individuals and seeing the value in this records. And this letter that you just read, I mean, they're actually asking for clarification. Oh, yes. On, oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Oh. You know, because this is, this is new for them, and they need to understand, well, just, well, uh-huh. wait a minute, what should, what should I do here? You know, if the dad is here and the kids have moved away, we just... What, well, not moved away, deal? sold away. I mean, they've moved yeah. away, they're married. Some of these children are adults with children of their own. Yeah. A lot of these things with marriages have to do with um, inheritance. You know, yeah. um, mm-hmm. now you are now citizens. You die, you leave property. Who inherits? Your legitimate heirs inherit. And I have a letter. If, I'm, if I still have time, I will read uh, that. And I do want to mention, uh, you know, Virginia is really a lot of my focus. I have tried to look around at some of the other records. Um, mm-hmm. and, but there is a Negro census for 1865 mm-hmm. for Athens and Huntsville, Alabama. 
Um, and I will read you the first entry. The woman's uh, it's a child. Her name is Virginia Crawford. She's 13. She's a female. She's living at Westside Church. Her former owner was Miss Amelda Crawford. Uh, she's a house servant, and she is living. Uh, she was um, in Madison, Alabama. So you know, there's a possibility uh, that I'm I'm hoping that people who are listening to me who are in other states take a look at the Freedmen's Bureau records and see if this type of document is available. As far as only census I know for Alabama, but like I said, I'm not an Alabama researcher. So, yes. uh, mm-hmm. you know, people need to take that in mind. Uh, the other, um, I hear a beep, is that me? <laughs> uh, the other uh, thing, um, transportation. I mentioned yes. transportation. Mm-hmm. And so I want I wanted to bring up uh, two or three things with that. Like I said, I'm here in Tidewater, Virginia. I have um, Fort Monroe. Thousands, hundreds of people came here. The war is over. Uh, you know, the town, uh, they're overrun with people. Um, and so you have transportation, uh, the Bre- Freedmen's Bureau uh, providing transportation to people who want to go back to their former homes, and so um, these are. This gives you, um, you know, uh, you have Tom Jones who's 20 years old and he wants to go back to Charles City County. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Phila Robinson, who's from King of Queen, you get a sense of how far these people have come to get to Fort Monroe, yes. and and probably anybody who else is researching wherever this contraband came, people came great distances. It was just not from Virginia. I mean, you see people coming from other states. You're trying to actually sometimes imagine how they got here, uh, but they're asking uh, to go home. Mm-hmm. Uh, because someplace like uh, Hampton, Virginia is overrun, um, you know, they're having to try to support the, all these people. You have a list uh, where people are, the Freemans Bureau has to provide or trying to provide employment for people. Sometimes there's um, employment opportunities to other states. And so, you know, and they're overrun and people are willing to go. So you have the list of Negro persons applying for transportation to Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, You know, this is 1866. So Mm -hmm. now if you look at the 1870 census and you see Andrew Wilkes, who's 27, and he says he's born in Virginia, maybe you look at that and you say, well, maybe he got to Boston on the Underground Railroad. Well, no, he didn't get to Boston on the Underground Railroad. He got to Boston because he was seeking employment. So, you know, this, these records provide you that in-between time. You're uh, right. Yes, and You're so you need to take right. that into consideration. Um, there was one other one, Arkansas. Um, I was looking at a number of Alexandria records, and this is another area where you had a lot of contraband. And I'm shocked to find um, all these people, you know, their labor contracts going to other southern states. Um, And so, you know, I have other people. I mean, I sent one to um, one or two of those type of things to Angela because I know that she researches Arkansas. And Mm -hmm. so you have these lists of people who are going to Arkansas. Now, a lot of them are going on one- or two-year contracts. But if they stay, 
if they stay and you find them in 1870, your assumption is, you know, they were either sold to Arkansas, they moved to Arkansas with their owner, when in fact they've gone there during this in-between time. And so these are the type of things that you need to take into consideration. And I also took a look um, at, um, for no reason, <laughs> maybe because of 70s if she's in the room, at a Mississippi uh, Freedmen's Bureau record. So there's a report from the agent in Tunica County, Mississippi, and <clears throat> and he's replying I guess, to um, a, a letter he's received asking about the population in Tunica, Mississippi. And he says that the white population in Tunica was 1,164, 11, uh, 1, and the black population was 3,500, 3,533, mm-hmm. according to the census of 1866. Uh, this is exclusively a river county, and the land not so much subject to overflow. But he said that um, because of the demand for labor and the productiveness of the soil has induced a considerable emigration of blacks from Georgia and Alabama and Tennessee during the latter part of 66 and the first of the year. So he mm-hmm. he, he says that you can state that the black population of this county, county is now 10% greater than it was in 1866. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't know who's researching Tunica County, but, I mean, you know, they might assume that their family was always in Tunica, Mississippi, and, and, when in and fact they, they're they from were somewhere not. else. Yeah. Well, we have another question coming in. Uh, first of all, do you have any data, and this is a question from Angela, in the records that pertain to the education of former slaves, and are there rosters of students to be found? Well, I haven't seen that. I see those statistical reports mm-hmm. uh, so far, but now I haven't gone through every image. Uh, sure. But you will see, you know, where it names the teachers, it will name uh, how many students, how many adults are in the class, um, all, you know, they're those big sheets. And um, I, but I have not seen so far where I've seen a list of students. Mm-hmm. But it's mm-hmm. possible that that exists uh, maybe in some other county record or just in a record set. Of, of, and you know, I haven't run across it yet. Yes. Well, actually, we had a guest on the show uh, back in December, and her ancestor was actually hired by the Freedmen Bureau to set up an educational yes. system in Lafayette, Louisiana. Yes. And so she found a lot of documentation on education that was funded through the Freedmen Bureau. Yes. I know now, that uh, Natan has a question to come in also, but go ahead, Selma. Well, I just wanted to say, I have not seen rosters that you just asked of children, but letters from people who have been hired as teachers when they're talking about the conditions in the school and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of that. But I have mm-hmm. not seen rosters of children. If that's what if that's what I'm being asked. That's what the, that was part of the question. Okay. You're so right, um, Natan. You had a question you wanted to ask. Yes, Selma. Earlier mm-hmm. you talked about the cohabitation registers and you named some of the counties. And I know by looking at them that the information collected varies among some of the counties. Do yes. you know if there was one circular and just at the field office? 
the individuals responsible collected what they could or they or there were or maybe there were more than uh one circular about what to obtain the information yes, to obtain they, yes there are circulars there is a circular and uh, uh unfortunately <laughs> unfortunately I don't have but yes there were circulars uh that um but there were circulars that were asking them to give specific information and but you know like i said sometimes they start to col- they collect the information and then you know they do it their way and they don't want to go back and do it the other way that that type of thing but there are circulars for all these things circulars about transportation circulars about indenture uh circulars about the marriage yes unfortunately and i i'm sorry i don't have a link uh in front of me to that right now that's fine. I wanted to ask you one other question. Are you familiar with a, a book called The Freeman's Bureau and Reconstruction Reconsiderations by Paul Simbola and Randall M. Miller? Uh, no. <laughs> That's not on my list. Should I get it? <laughs> <laughs> it may be worthwhile reading. Uh, okay. In the book, they discuss uh, different topics for different states. Okay. Okay. Well, good. Thank you. Okay. Well, yeah. and more questions are coming, okay? There's okay. another question about marriage records. Uh, uh, what kind of information have you found about the marriages? Do you mean if, what what they're being asked? Who's getting married? I mean, I, I think I shared with you some marriage records of Louisiana where they actually broke down the the percentage of racial mixing of each of the bride and the groom and the and the father and the mother and so well, it's no. very <laughs> explicit for for Louisiana <laughs> for Louisiana. Yeah, well, you know that is that is Louisiana. I, I have know. not seen that. And I will say, in the Smith County, there is a census that which was one of the first censuses I ever saw. It's a handwritten census, and that was the first time where I saw the Black M octoroon quadroon columns, which mm-hmm. were handwritten, and they put slashes. Now, how exact that is, you know, I don't. I'm not going to. Yeah, it makes I'm you wonder how did they come up with one fourth? I this think and you know. I think it's like a lot of those things with that. Now, maybe in Louisiana they took it, more. <laughs> but I think a lot of it is visual because it's, you know, with the census and with everything else, you know, you're B on one, you're M on the other. Uh, in a lot of cases, it's a, it's a visual thing, uh, but they do ask uh, for the name of the husband. Uh, you know, um, if you look at the, um, there's also one in the Freedmen's Bureau records for Nelson County. Um, in some instances, um, uh, when they began to cohabitate, um, you know, where they were um residing at the time or you know former former owners that type of thing so sometimes they they're different for every county sometimes well have you stumbled on any gems i mean there's a question in here what kind of gems have you stumbled on well (laughs) (laughs) a lot too many but i I wanted to get these in because i'm looking at the clock uh because i think these are probably the most poignant Things which are the letters for people who are looking for their families. Um, so, you know, although I'm speaking about Virginia, you have to understand that 
these records, they're part of Record Group 105, but they're getting letters from people from out of state who are looking their family members in Virginia or they're in Virginia looking for their family members who have been sold away. Uh, you know, uh, in the record, from there's a letter um, on Roll 84 from a woman who's writing from Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, the um, Her name is Louisa Cass, alias Crutchfield, and she's asking <clears throat> for information in Spotsylvania County for her children, Mansfield and Octavia, and her brother Armstead, and states that 20 years ago the children were sold at Richmond by a major Oscar Crutchfield, one of them her daughter, to a Dr. Evans who took her to Arkansas. So you really see uh, this, I mean, you know, People in this room who know me know that I say all roads lead back to Virginia. I mean, mm-hmm. probably over half a million slaves are sold uh, between after the American Revolution, um, you know, up to 1850 and 1860. They're either sold to the Lower South, uh, they're taken uh, to the Lower South, or go west. And so now during this time period, you know, 20 years, she is still looking um, for her children and her brother. And she does receive a response. I mean, I could not um, find any information, um, but she did get a response that her her brother um, was dead. That mm-hmm. um, and so you know, I mean, it's very poignant. Um, a man um, who is um, living in Ohio who asked the bureau to provide transportation for his children who are in Virginia, and they do. And I find them in the 1870 census, which is, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's, in, it, it, it's good to read because sometimes a lot of what you read in these records are very painful, to be perfectly honest, to read. Yes, they are. You Let's are so honest. right. They, they, they really are. Now, Selma, we have someone who's online. Uh, so I'm going to bring that person online. Area code 301, do you have a question or a comment? Uh, yes. Hello, Bernice, Nathan, and Zelma. This Hello. Is, this Hi. is Ellen Butler, and I just wanted to call. I have a comment, and I just wanted to add to everything that Zelma is saying regarding the Freedmen's Bureau records. Um, I have done extensive research on labor contracts, and, I mean, I find them to be invaluable Resources they provide so much information, and I mean they give some of them I've looked at would give the name of the freedman and the name of the plantation and say former slave on plantation blank yeah. blank, which puts our ancestors at a specific location during a specific time. Um, I've read some of the letters requesting transportation. I saw a letter, it was a report from a school, and it listed, as Selma indicated, the teacher's name and the number of students and the location. It indicated that the parents were paying like a dollar per month for each student. And this particular teacher went on to become a senator from the state of South Carolina. Ah. And I recently did some research on a labor contract with a lady, and I'm from South Carolina, um, Edgefield County, and it listed, this particular contract had seven freedmen listed, and they all had a surname, and the surname was not the name of the person they were working That's for. Right. 
and I was able to research them and to find them, most of them in the 1870 census, and to track them up through like 1900, 1920, and even find some of their death certificates. So these, um, those particular records, like I said, provide invaluable information for all researchers, and I would encourage everyone, if they get the opportunity, to look at the Freedmen's Bureau records and kind of concentrate on the labor contracts. Yes, yes, I agree. And I enjoyed everything that you said, Selma. uh Uh-huh. Well, thank you. Okay, you're welcome. Thank you very much for calling in. And I want to mention, I mean, these, um, you know, there have been other people who, have understood and um the value of these records um in uh 19 I want to get the date right in 1995 uh Jacqueline Lawson uh published a book an index of African Americans identified in the selected records of the Freedmen's Bureau she also um dedicated um this book I believe to James Walker I mean, who obviously had inspired her. And so it's an index, and, you know, you are able to go in and see, and you see the names, and then you can kind of tell you what role to go look for. Um, In um, 1997, uh, Elizabeth Camborian published a book also by Heritage, uh, The Freedmen's Bureau in Virginia, The Names of the Destitute Freedmen Dependent Upon the the Government in the Military Districts of Virginia. Now, she was using the – she wasn't even using Record Group 105. This was in the Assistant Superintendent Records. And um, uh, um, Dr. Barnetta White, who everyone should know her, who compiled that three-volume set on the cohabitation records for North Carolina, which is a monumental a monumental uh, work. She also did a book um, using the uh, assistant superintendent records for the labor contracts for freedmen from North Carolina to Texas, Arkansas, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia. I mean, so, I mean, it's really, people have, it's just so much. And I think it's really going to take a concerted effort. Uh, people really, um, you know, if, I mean, my point in coming here this evening evening was to hope to kind of inspire people to look at the records. Uh, These records are probably not the records that a beginning genealogist needs to start with because they can become overwhelming. Um, You should look at them, though. Uh, It's best if you have done your basic research you have people, you know, you you have found the people in 1870. You understand the history of the community that they're in, not only the individuals and the in, uh, families, but the community at large, the other people that are living around them. So that when you go to that, because, you know, the biggest thing people say is, <clears throat> is the names. And as I said, it's not that we're not in those in those records prior to 1865. But we're not generating uh, those records. And so, you know, you have Bess. How do you separate one Bess from the other 50,000 Besses that are in some will or deed? And That's so, right. And this is an opportunity to this do is, that. This is when these people give their names and That's speak right. with their own voice. That's right. Well, Selma, can I hold you on for just a little bit longer? I'm oh. going to take another quick break if you have a few more minutes. Okay. 
<laughs> okay, and then we'll come back and see if we have any more questions, okay? Sure. Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. I want to thank Selma for giving us a few more minutes so that we could get some more questions in. And Selma, we just had a, a caller with a question. So if you don't mind, just holding on just a few more minutes. And folks, okay. if you want to call, if you have questions, please feel free to call our number. And it's 646-200-0491 and press 1 to speak to the host. Uh, 443, do you have a question? 443? Yes, good evening, Bernie, Selma, and Good evening. This is Angela. How are you? I'm fine. (laughs) Quick question. Um, Selma, what would you recommend, or maybe recommend isn't the word, what would you say is the best audience for these records. You did say that uh, the beginner, you know, the person who's just getting started looking for their their grandparents or great-grandparents, it's not necessarily for them. Um, But can you elaborate on the types of individuals who would really benefit from using this record set, and not just Virginia, but in general? Um, Probably, like I said, someone who's been doing some research um, and you know, it doesn't have to be for 20 years, but that you've um, documented, uh, used all you know the census records, the marriage records, all the usual things uh, to document your uh, uh, people in a specific time and place. You know, my motto is time, place, and space. Right. You need to document these people. Uh, through the time, you know, and and the and the larger community, and um, if you find them in some place for Virginia, I mean, take a look at Record Group 105. The fact that this is digitized allows you to put in a name. Uh, mm-hmm. If you know the other names, you know, maybe your person does not come up, but maybe you'll put in a neighbor, and maybe his name comes up, and so you know, you might find information about the. Uh, um, what's going on in your community, or other people, um, not necessarily grandpa specifically, but maybe cousin so-and-so, that you would not normally have uh, thought to look at, that maybe right. can provide you information. Now, I'm not saying beginners shouldn't look at it, but, I mean, it can get to be, it can be overwhelming. Right. <laughs> Especially That's... because you have no context. It's a what name about... on a page, but you have no context. 
I'm thinking about scholars. You know, I come out of higher education. One of the things that we would tell our graduate students is that when they're doing research, for example, for their thesis or dissertation, they are coming up with new knowledge, new data. They're just taking a record set or data that they've collected and they're analyzing it. And some of us fall into something. We start out looking for our families, but we fall into a new area. I think some of us call it community area studies. Would you say that this record set can be useful for a person who's just doing demographic studies, for example? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And, you know, now, Yes, demographic, or just to get an idea of what's going on uh, in the community. Uh, this was one of the things I, I didn't get to, but I did want to uh, mention. Another thing that Virginia asked for was a report of the state of feelings existing between the whites and blacks in the different uh-huh. in their districts, in the specific counties. And so on Roll 179, um, uh, DGS 4152432, if anybody's interested, uh, from image 879, um, well, there's one for 879, but then I have nine months' worth of reports from the um, P.H. McLaughlin, who is in this county. And he says, I have the honor to make the following report for the month of April in compliance with circular number six. Uh, that's generated January 29, 1866. There seems to be a, great, a, a strong antipathy of on the part of the whites toward the blacks. The whites are disposed to treat the blacks very unkindly, and in, in consequence, there exists a hostile feeling between the two races. Um, he goes on, he gives his report uh, in May. Um, the feelings are still not good. Uh, the blacks, as a general, appear to be willing to comply with their contracts because contracts in these communities become very, you know, these former owners or people in the community right. now have to pay people for labor right. that, you know, they otherwise got um, for free except to feed them and clothe them. Um, so, you know, that the whites are disposed to take every possible advantage of them. And the whites are so opposed in my counties to the education of the blacks that they frequently insult and even threaten with violence any person who takes the attempts uh, to educate them, especially the white teachers on a whole. So um, there's also quite a bit of information about um, elections. You know, mm-hmm. during this time, these states are still under federal rule. You know, when we watched that show on, for those of us, for those of you who watched um, Gates' program, and he he um, did the segment on John Lewis. When his, this yes. man's great great grandfather goes to vote, well, mm-hmm. he's able to vote vote because the Freedmen's Bureau is there. That's you right. know, they you know, and as soon as <clears throat> the bureau is gone, and these states are back in control, you know, these other officials are back in control, one of the first things they do is take away, away the right take to vote. Take away the vote. That's right. And so, oh. you know, you, and so you, um, you know, I put in, when talk about putting in names, so, you know, I put in Robert E. Lee <laughs> just to see. <laughs> well, you know, I forget how many hundred references I had to Robert E. Lee. One actually turned out to be, apparently, Robert E. Lee was the executor of his father-in-law's estate, and turns out his will 
a certified copy of the will was there. There was another reference to a, now I don't believe this was the Robert E. Lee, because it was um, a freedman who was working, um, it was, a, you know, he was getting paid, so it's not the Robert E. Lee. And then there's another letter, because I think after the war, he was um, the head of a, um, I'm going to say it wrong and anybody who's listening, but a head of a military a school here in Virginia. And um, and so it was a letter from the Bureau because the blacks in the area were going to have a meeting talking about the upcoming elections. And um, they were writing to him because there had been reports that the students were going to disrupt this meeting. So you see a lot of that, you know. So you it's, see it's, so it's very much. Varied. You are so right. Well, you know what? You have another question coming in. Ah. <laughs> it's from area code eight four five. Area code eight four five. Do you have a question or a comment? Hi, Selma. This is Seventy Soulchild. Oh, hi, Seventy. And <laughs> hi. <laughs> and um, I remember when you first told me about the Record Group One Hundred Five. I was having some issues trying to find. Um, initial bounty payments to some of my Civil War relatives who had bought with some of the Mississippi USCTs and Louisiana USCTs, and I was able to go down to the National Archives and look at a record group 105, um, microfilm wall M, 1907, and I was actually able to find several people not only the um, payments that were made to my particular ancestors that I was looking for, but in addition, I was able to find some of the people who had signed affidavits for yeah. them, their pension records um, that were initially given to them, that their bounty payments. And I learned a little bit about the community through the letters and correspondence yeah. from the um, Freeman's Bureau that was operating out of Natchez. Mississippi. Yeah. So it was a real it was a real eye opener. Um there was so and like you mentioned earlier, there were a lot of people who actually fought in some of the Mississippi USCTs that came from surrounding states. Um so that was also very interesting, reading some of the letters and looking at some of that early correspondence and official federal documents. And thank you. Oh, thank you for well. Good. I'm gl- I'm glad that you were able to find some information, and I think I, that's really what I want uh, people to take from this. Um, I probably kind of got some of the stuff wrong, uh, but um, I think overall, uh, you know, the bounty uh, record claims I think is is a major part. Uh, there are bounty record claims also in the Virginia records. Uh, when I mentioned the Huntsville, Alabama uh, census. Uh, after the census, there's a whole thing of lists of bounty claim records on the same reel. And so, I mean, the variety is is just incredible. I it mean, it, it really is, is incredible. It, yes. it, it is truly incredible. Now, Selma, uh, uh-huh. when you went through the records, did you also see some of the regulations, uh, plantation regulations and rules that they expected the uh, planters to follow when they uh, worked with the the freedmen on the labor contracts? Um, it's probably there. It's not something that I noticed. Um, you know, when they have the, you know, you have the handwritten these whole 
handwritten kind of labor contracts, the responsibility of the employer and the responsibilities of the employee, that Mm -hmm. type of thing. And then you'll see the form, then you'll, you know, so you see them some handwritten, and then you'll see others um, that are, um, you know, on the forms with the, with the names and and the length of time and how much you're supposed to get paid or or that type of thing. Uh yes. it's possible that it's there. You know, I've just been um kind of my process has been actually to go through every reel yes. and stop every 25 or so pages and you can do that when you're um on the computer and just kind of take a look take the sometimes i just scroll to see what's there other times i'm looking for something specific because mm-hmm. i've seen it uh in the you know in the descriptive pamphlet and so uh, lots of circulars that have have to do with uh Nathan asked earlier about the marriages you know the information that is asked um you know um like i said when the question came up about uh with one of the letters where the gentleman, um, the agent in that particular county had already done this register, and, you know, he lists all the information that he had given, and he says, do I really have to do the next one? So, uh, you know, it's 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 varied. It's varied. It's varied. Well, I certainly want to thank you so much for joining me tonight and for and for Natan and, and Kosa hosting the show, for providing the listeners with this valuable information concerning the Virginia records, but also the Freedom Bureau records in general. Yes. Now, I'd like please join me next week. Actually, I would like you all to join me on Monday, March 3rd at 9 p.m. for a Special show about funeral programs with Karen Sutton. So good night and thank you, Selma Stewart. And remember, everybody, your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. You can continue this discussion on research at the National Archives and beyond and the AfterGenius.com Facebook page. And also join our pages. Also, remember to listen to the African Roots Podcast with Angela Walton Raji on Friday morning and Nurturing Our Roots with Antoinette Harrell on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Thank you so much for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Thank you and good night. Good night, Selma, and good night to all of you.